Welcome to Spotlight Conversations with voice talent and DJ Donna Reed. Donna talks music and media from her sunny linoleum-free studio. Come on in. All right. Today, here's someone who's been in TV news for nearly 30 years. That is no easy feat. He's at the NBC News Channel in Charlotte. Mark Barger, thank you for joining us today. He's a reporter and a producer. Let me just also put that in there. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm very flattered to be asked. Tell me, 30 years in TV news, you must have covered everything. I mean, give me a couple of highlights that just stick <laughs> in your mind. Well, actually, it goes back even beyond 30 years, like, because I started in Raleigh um, at the NBC affiliate WPTF, Channel 28, way That's back right. in the middle 80s. And I believe QDR, so I, I got, too, right? Didn't you work at uh, yes. WQDR there, too? Yes, that's where my real roots are in radio for a couple of years and then moved to TV. It was in the same building, so it was easy to make that transition. Right. But, um, yeah, the, the 30 years I've spent at NBC um, News Channel have just wildly exceeded my expectations. When I took the job, I thought, maybe I'll be there a year or two and then go on to something else. But it's just been a fantastic place to work. I've had great bosses, great colleagues, and the things I've gotten to do have been entertaining. And so I've stuck around and uh, all of a sudden it's 30 years. Also, I see you've been, just looking at your bio, you've been to every Olympic. Well, every Olympics that NBC's had since 1996. Yeah, it's beyond fortunate. So it's, I guess, 11. I was supposed to go to the Tokyo Olympics um, this past August, which obviously didn't happen. I'm hopeful I'll get to go back for them next year. Right, right. Um, but yeah, that's that's been a career highlight for sure. I mean, I'm, I used to run high school and junior high track year-round and cross-country, so I'm a track geek. So getting to go see the best of track and field along with all the other sports over these years in kind of exotic locations around the world has just been phenomenal. So with the opening ceremonies, you were right there, front and center. Yeah, in, in 1996, the games in Atlanta, um, I was there doing some live shots in the stadium before the ceremonies happened. And actually, I was not supposed to be in the stadium for the opening ceremonies themselves. Uh, I had a credential, but I didn't have the ticket that was required. Mm-hmm. And I was leaving the stadium just before the ceremony started with uh, Kelly O'Donnell, who's now an NBC correspondent. The two of us were leaving because we didn't have the ticket. And someone saw us with these credentials, and they just assumed we were supposed to be there. And so they escorted us down to these, what amounted to 50-yard line seats for the opening ceremony. And we just sat there and took it in and just couldn't believe how lucky we were. You know, sometimes it just seems like in talking with folks who work in broadcasting, or even if they don't, the greatest things that happen in their careers are the ones that are not planned. I mean, you sit there and go, oh, I'm going to go, and I'm going to make sure I get here. And it sometimes works out that way. But when I hear stories like absolutely. this, go ahead. It's just like, right? No, absolutely. That, that was a total accident. And actually, it's the only opening ceremonies I've seen in person as far as being in the stadium out of all these Olympics I've attended. What was your favorite? Sydney in 2000 was by far my favorite um, because it just it checked all the boxes. The, the people, the weather, the venues, the competitions. Uh, it was all just phenomenal. And I guess there's probably, probably some magic because it was my first Olympics outside the U.S. And getting to go to Australia, which is someplace I had always wanted to go, uh, just added to the magic of that whole experience. And it was just terrific. 
and you can't beat kangaroos. Oh, I know. Um, getting to do a stand-up with kangaroos. Oh, and that I don't know. I could stand up yeah. with kangaroos. Now, you've done entertainment and sports, mostly. Uh, fill me in. Yeah, I, I got started uh, largely in sports back in my radio days, and then it carried into television, and then to NBC News Channel. I was hired there to manage um, the sports feed, sports highlights, and I also did... Um, sports anchoring on the overnight newscast that we did called NBC Nightside, which aired for about seven years on NBC stations around the country in the middle of the night. So I did that through about 1997, 98. And then I transitioned into what's called the specials unit. And that encompasses entertainment. And so I started doing a lot of interviews with people connected to NBC shows. And then occasionally things like the Golden Globes and Mm -hmm. different other broader entertainment things outside the NBC universe. So, Jim, so that's what I've been doing more or less for the last 20 years. Did you have a, um, a celebrity that really sticks in your mind as far as sitting down and talking to one-on-one and what was he or she like? Did it really, is it just one of those stories you'll always remember? Well, uh, probably one of the weirdest ones was uh, Sharon Stone. She did an arc on Law & Order SVU about mm-hmm. 10 or 12 years ago, I guess, and I went to New Jersey where they were filming and um, was assigned as interviewer. And I was supposed to be there at noon for the interview. And because of all the work on the set that day, I didn't get to talk to her until 10 o'clock at night. So literally stood on the set for 10 hours waiting for Sharon Stone. And it was not her fault. It's just the production kept her busy all day and didn't free her up to do the interview. And I kept thinking by nine o'clock, you know, she's probably not going to want to do this interview because I was mindful of her reputation that precedes her. But 10 o'clock came around, they were finished for the day, and I was supposed to have five minutes with her and wound up having 15. And she couldn't have been more delightful. And uh, she did the interview in sweats, which everyone who sees the interview, that's the first thing they talk about. This glamorous, beautiful star Uh did the interview in sweats. And she was just, Terrific. Didn't she show up at an awards ceremony with a shirt she got at the Gap that afternoon or something? I'm trying to remember. I'm an entertainment junkie, too. Uh, it's entirely possible. I, I'm not I love aware that. of that, but it's entirely possible. It would not surprise me based on my interaction with her. I was prepared for someone who, after 10 hours of work on set, probably wouldn't be in the best of moods, but she was terrific. She just phenomenal and exceeded my expectations and kind of changed my impression of her before I actually talked to her. Recently, what is some of the recent stuff you've done that you're working on with NBC? Well, the weirdest thing is, since the pandemic started, is doing so many interviews via Zoom. Um, Usually, a a few times a year, I'll get to travel to New York or Los Angeles and do clusters of interviews with people, either in, you know, rooms or on set, things like that. But obviously, we can't do that during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing a lot of Zoom interviews with, for example, the judges on America's Got Talent, after the show's over, they'll go and sit down in front of their tablet or laptop, and I'll talk to all of them together about that night's show. Or earlier this week, I got to talk to the the coaches for The Voice. The fact that I'm talking to them in my own home via the computer is just crazy. If you had told me January 1st that all this would be going on, and I'd be talking to Jimmy Fallon in my own house. That's something. I just wouldn't have believed it. And see, that's what going to, I have so many things we want to, I want to talk about, but one, since we're talking about Zoom and, and the changes in the industry, you've seen so many. 
Where do you see the changes now? Do you think it's going to be Zoom from here on in after the pandemic? Because I'm an optimist and I know there's going to be an end to it somewhere. <laughs> um, do you think people are going to start going, you know, I'm kind of liking this Zoom stuff, you know? Well, it, it's definitely um, made things more flexible. Yes. I mean, you can talk to people anytime now, whereas before you had to set things up way in advance and, and set aside a certain amount of time. There was a lot more prep, and now you can just kind of do it on the fly. Um, earlier this week, uh, basically on about an hour's notice, I was asked to do an interview with Jane Lynch from The Weakest Link. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the notion that I could throw that together in an hour when she's in California and I'm in Charlotte, you know, again, this time last year, that just wouldn't have happened. And the fact that you can do things like this now, and it's acceptable to the audience. People have gotten used to seeing Zoom interviews so you don't necessarily have to have these, you know, finely tuned, immaculately lit interviews that people have kind of gotten used to. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have those, and those are not going to go away for sure. But sprinkled in there, I think we're going to see Zoom. I think it's more or less here to stay, and we're going to see those kind of interviews because um, you can just access people quickly, and sometimes you don't have the luxury of time to get a certain interview with a medical professional or a politician or something right, like that. Right. Huh. And so that's where Zoom comes in. Do you think that, well, depending on the person's being interviewed or the person talking, um, is the interview going to be different now since everything has to be so quick? It's like, oh, I got to do this in 20 minutes. I don't have a lot of time. Give me, you know, her bio sheet or his bio sheet and then just launch into it. Do you think that makes for a more exciting um, interaction? Uh, Actually, I think it does. In, in, in fact, it's more relaxing, or maybe not relaxing, but the, the people being interviewed are maybe more relaxed because they're doing it from behind their desk or their living room or their den, something like that. So they feel more comfortable in the environment that they're being interviewed in, kind of the same way I'm talking to you right now from my den. Right. So that helps. You know, there used to be, you know, publicists and PR people and advertising people. There's so many people involved. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of times they're listening in to the interviews, especially with Zoom. When you admit a person, you can also be admitting someone who's there just to listen. Mm-hmm. And so generally PR people, especially with entertainment folks, are, are listening in to make sure they don't go off the rails. And um, so far that hasn't happened. So I haven't had anybody say anything that they're not supposed to be saying. Remember back in radio? Or, or spoil something. Remember back in radio you had that delay where you could get... <laughs> Yes, the but the cough button. The cough yes, button. Yes, we don't we don't have that with Zoom. No, we do not. Um, where do you see this ten, maybe even fifteen years, interviews and so wow. on? Wow, I I really don't know. I wish I had a great crystal ball to foresee. The thing is, there are just so many outlets for information now, and I think it's going to continue to multiply. There are going to be more and more outlets, more so than than fewer, and. Um, it, it's really hard to say. I, I wish I had the, the, the clairvoyance to know where it's all going. Well, the competition's going to be great because there is for music. You know, when we started in in radio, you know, there were only a few places you could listen to music. You know, the radio right. station. So now there's so much, and with news, of course, it's the same way now. Um, and there's just the competition level is is very intense. So how are people going to differentiate? Do you think? I mean, is that where branding you feel is going to be a big thing, or marketing, or? Yeah, I mean, in the, in the case of NBC, 
Um, for example, we have obviously the NBC Television Network and the News Division. We also have MSNBC and CNBC. We also have just launched a streaming news service called NBC News Now, mm-hmm. which is 24 hours a day, and that's strictly a streaming service. And uh, I think there's also NBC News Radio. And so in the case of NBC, we have different ways to reach people. And it's the same way for all the networks, CNN, CBS, ABC, Fox. They're all looking to be where the listeners and the viewers are, whether that's on your phone, your watch, your radio, your television. They want to get the information to you in whatever way you want to consume it. And there's so many different ways to consume information now. Um, we have to keep up. We do, but I have to turn my brain off at night too because, you know, then there's Netflix and the host of it. Yes. I, I'm addicted. There's Absolutely. Some, some shows that are good. All right, I'm going to go back a little bit because I wanted to know um, how you started. You're a UNC grad and you worked at XYC, which is a station in Chapel yes. Hill, I believe, right? Yes, the campus radio station. Love uh, it. Kind of an alternative rock station and uh, one of the legend. In fact, it was the very first radio station to go onto the internet, which I did not know until recently. Oh, but back cool. in the nineties, it was the first station of any sort to broadcast on the internet. So did you so do that's, news? That's a source of pride. Are were you? That is. Are, that's very cool. Are, were you news yeah, or were you long, a DJ? Long after. No, I was in the news news department. So I think I did some pinch hit DJ stints, but only a few. So wasn't your um, thing, huh? No, not really. Well, I don't think anyone wanted to listen to me introduce tunes. New, news is, news and sports were my bailiwick. You love that, though. It sounds like news was, was your thing. And then you went to QDR, the big QDR in Raleigh, and were a part yes, of the news yes. there. Right, right. And so, yeah, Ga- go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, Gail Ranser uh, took a chance on me. Um, and one of my colleagues, Maria Mills, she encouraged me to apply at WQDR. She was already working there. Two yes, great ladies absolutely. in radio. Yeah, I feel really lucky because I was, you know, I was only a, a sophomore in college when I started working there, and all these people had much more experience than me. And when I hear old air checks on myself on the air, there I feel like it's nails on the chalkboard, and I'm kind of shocked that they put up with me. But fortunately, they did, and I'm forever grateful to them. It's great to have somebody in your corner that sees something. And so you were a part of QDR yeah. when it changed formats too, I would guess, right? Yeah, that was that was heartbreaking. I bet. I bet. <laughs> yeah, when it changed format, the, the number of letters that came from listeners back then, and they were letters. This was before email. So we got so many handwritten and hand-typed letters from listeners that were just heartbroken about the change. That was uh, that was really tough, really tough. And at PTF... But I, I did go not... Ahead, I, I was going to say, I, I didn't stick around. Um, I transitioned to actually to be PTF AM after the format change. I felt like I'd be disloyal to QDR's listeners if I moved over to the country station. So I went to AM for a while Mm -hmm. before moving to TV. Okay. And then you went to PTF-TV as well in Raleigh-Durham. Right, right. I was the weekend sports anchor there for about six years. Wow, that's great. So so how did Charlotte come out of this? I mean, you were in Raleigh, and you've been a part of radio and the transitions there. And then you were at PTF 28, and then they just came in one day and said, see ya. Well, I think that was the story. I'm not sure. But. Yeah. The, well, the, there was an ownership change at Channel 28. We, we knew it was coming. We knew the station was up for sale. But when the sale was actually transacted, the new owners signed the paperwork at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And at about 5 o'clock that afternoon, 
the news director came into the room and told us all that we were out of a job and had four hours to clean out our desks. And so we didn't even have our newscast that night that we'd been preparing all day. They said they were going to run cheers at yeah. seven o'clock instead of our newscast. And so, um, I cleared out. I literally turned off the lights on the newsroom when I walked out oh. the door. I was the last one to leave. And it was like the end of the Mary Tyler Moore show. Right. It was really, really sad. But the, the kicker was that people, we had a very small audience. You know, we were a distant third to the other stations in the market. But anyone who called the station asking where the newscast was that night was being told by a live person that the station burned down. And so in the News and Observer the next day, the front page story said, WPTF News gone, but not up in flames. Oh, that's good. Good. They made it right. So after PTF TV, then what happened? Well, uh, after that experience, I wasn't sure I even wanted to stay in TV or or anything. (laughs) But uh, I decided to give it a shot. And so I applied at NBC News Channel, which had just started about nine months earlier in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And... um, I interviewed, and about a month went by, and I didn't hear from them. So I applied for a job in Richmond, Virginia, which is my hometown, and that was on Labor Day weekend. I drove home, and this was in the day before cell phones, so I had an answering machine, and there was a message on the answering machine offering me the job in Richmond during the course of the three hours it took me to drive home. But right behind that message on the answering machine was a message from News Channel offering a job. So back-to-back messages on my answering machine offering the job. And despite the notion it would be fun to be back in my hometown to work, I decided to go to Charlotte and take a chance on News Channel, and it was the best decision I ever made. The technology alone from your first couple of years to now. Yeah, it is crazy because I work in a building that on an average afternoon, if you walked in, we have a newsroom that you would see about 60 to 70 people you know, doing mm-hmm. our work, mm-hmm. but because of the pandemic, the majority of my colleagues are working from home. And so right now this large building only has about a dozen people in it on any given afternoon as opposed to 60 or 70 because my colleagues are all working from home. And if you had told me that would have been possible this time last year, I wouldn't have believed we could pull it off. But we have, and numbers of other stations around the country have done the same thing. I think actually for the first two or three months of the pandemic, the ratings pretty much across the board for broadcast stations in particular went up Mm -hmm. just because there was so much uncertainty and just people didn't really know where to turn. And to some extent they turned to local stations because they rely on them. Mm -hmm. But I think it's kind of evened out a bit. And so things have kind of gone back to where they were maybe this time last year in terms of ratings. And of course people are waiting for the new episodes of shows to come back because of the production delays. You must have a story from SNL from your, your 30 years with NBC. Something something that just sticks in your mind. Well, I have to ask. I have to find out. Well, actually, I have two. Okay. And the first one is from my PTF days when I was, um, I was in New York covering the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And it was a Saturday night that I had free. And so I tried to get into Saturday Night Live. And I went with two colleagues. And turns out we couldn't get tickets. We couldn't get in. But we were in 30 Rock because of our NBC connections. Mm-hmm. And through a, I'll spare you all the details, but it wound up that we got backstage in the middle of the show. So at around midnight, we managed to take a stairwell that just accidentally dumped us backstage, and we spent the final hour of the show 
with the cast, basically watching them going back and forth, changing costumes and everything. And somehow no one noticed us. No one asked us who we were, why we were there. We just stood there and just kind of blended in for an hour. And the entire time I was expecting a hand on my shoulder saying, who are you? What are you doing here? And I would be hauled off to jail. And what but show? it somehow never happened. Oh, that's you've been lucky. How awesome. What show yeah. was it? Do you remember who the guest was? This, oh, absolutely. It was, in fact, it was almost 30 years ago, just over 30 years ago. Deborah Winger was the host, and Eric Clapton was the musical guest. Nice. And that's part of why we had trouble getting tickets, because everyone wanted to see Eric Clapton. And he's one of the few guests they've ever had on the show that played three numbers. Usually the musical guests play two. two. Yeah. He got to play three. He's Eric Clapton, the, uh, though. I mean, he's slow hand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're going to give anyone a chance to play right. three numbers, yeah. it's Eric Clapton. Right. But um, when the show ended, the entire backstage, they all go out to the set, to the stage to say goodnight. Right. So the backstage was totally empty, except for myself and the two friends I went with. And, and there were two other people there that I have no idea who they were. But those two people just got up and walked out on stage. They weren't cast members. They weren't production crew members. They were just two random people that happened to be backstage like us. The show had gone off the air. These two people had walked out on stage. So we decided we would walk out on stage. Yeah. And the three of us walked out. We walked past Tunta's, the cat who could drive a car. We walked past Tunta's car and stood on stage because Clapton and the band just started putting kind of an impromptu concert together after the show had ended. And we stood on stage with the cast, watching Clapton and the band play for about 25 minutes. And that was a moment I will never forget. I, I was bet. standing next to Al Franken and A. Whitney Brown. And one of my other colleagues was brave enough to actually go up and stand with Deborah Winger. He introduced himself to her and stood there with her watching Clapton play. See, And it was just amazing. I'm just convinced the greatest things that happen in life are the ones that are unexpected. You know, we plan, we plan, we plan. And again, you know, you got to plan some things. I mean, we, we can't just wing it. Although <laughs> yes. some days I'd like to. But but some of the greatest stories I hear from folks are when it's just a random, yeah, we were then, and then I, I you'll remember that story yeah. forever. Oh, I will. I mean, because I, I thought it was the end of my freedom. Basically, I was going to be hauled off to jail, end of my <laughs> career and everything. If oh. someone realized I was where I wasn't supposed to be. But um, the, the other story I have from Saturday Night Live is the 40th anniversary. I got to be on the red carpet and interview cast members past and present as they got ready to go in for that show. And that was also just a career highlight. I will never forget that night. It was like Mark in Wonderland, basically. Uh, will Ferrell, Adam Sandler, you know, uh, various hosts from over the years, John Bon Jovi, Jim Carrey, um, Fred Willard. It was just an endless array of people that were coming through, and it was just kind of staggering. <laughs> but it was so much fun. Who made you laugh the most? You didn't laugh when you held them. Because I was doing live shots actually from the red carpet for NBC stations around the country, and I just happened to get Will Ferrell for the live shot I was doing with Dallas, and he was just being himself, just crazy. He. <laughs> pretended to be confused, thinking he was only 50 shades of red or 50 shades of gray uh, red carpet. And uh, he, so he was clowning around. But then he got serious for a moment talking about the impact the show had had in basically giving him a career. And he was just great. You know, I was with him all of, you know, four or five minutes, but 
that was just fantastic. It is. Now, if someone is listening to this and they're going, I want to go into TV and radio. (laughs) (laughs) And we know there are horror stories, too. It's not all this. um, Anyone who wants to be on camera or behind the mic is just practice, practice, practice. In in my case, when I started at QDR, one of the first assignments Gail Ranser gave me was to go out and talk to people on the street for a segment we did every day called 94 Seconds where I basically went out to Crabtree Valley Mall or somewhere like that and went up to total strangers to ask them the question of the day. And I would go back and then edit those responses into a 94-second report. And that just got me used to talking to total strangers mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to convince them to talk to me. Right. And, um, and then just the matter of being behind a mic and, and getting used to talking like we're talking now. I mean, it, it sounds simplistic, but there's a certain amount of comfort that you have have to get. And that comes from just repetition and internships. I've always been a big fan of them. If you can land one, grab one. I I've always benefited from an internship, even if it was in a field I didn't pursue, it still opens up so much. Um, Go ahead. Your, your thoughts on that. Do anything they will let you do. Don't turn down an opportunity Mm -hmm. because you're going to learn from it, whether it's a good experience or a bad experience. Sometimes the bad experience can be as valuable because you realize there's a different way to do this or mm-hmm. this is something I don't want to do again. You, you learn from mistakes. Uh, one time I interviewed James Kahn and he pretty much kind of verbally slapped me down because I asked him to tell me about his character. And he said, you know, usually when I hear somebody ask that question, that's when I change the channel. And he was right because that's a really boring question to just say, tell me about your character. There are other ways you can approach that. And that was a lesson I learned. And, and I have to admit, despite all these stories I've just told you about, all these kind of stellar moments, that's not my day in and day out job. Uh, I would say I 80 that. to 90% of my job is sitting in front of a computer, you know, typing stories and things like that. Researching. So it's not all talking to stars. Yes. I've been just beyond lucky. I, I, I can't express that enough <laughs> because... Uh, there are not a lot of people that get to do the kind of things that I have done. And I've just been so, so fortunate. And it's just kind of happened accidentally. Well, a lot of of that is probably true, but I also know you're a hard worker and let's face it in this business, you have to be a very hard worker. You have to be working harder than the next guy who's working really hard. I mean, you'd have to agree to that. I mean, it's, Oh, absolutely. If you you want to go into radio or television, do not count on a nine to five, 40 hour a week job. Yeah. You're going to work extra hours. You're going to work weird shifts. You'll work in the middle of the night, which I've done. You'll work at the crack of dawn, which I've done. You'll work weekends, holidays. So you just that comes with the territory. So you have to be prepared for that. And not everyone is. Some people get a taste of it and realize it's not for them. And that's great. You can find something else to do that will give you just as much enjoyment. You've been listening to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts or your favorite platform. Thanks for tuning in.